The reading this morning is from Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 32, on page 1012, or page 1620 in the large print Bibles. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. The healing of a boy with an evil spirit. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, he, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. 
This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Thank you, Caroline. So let's get ourselves into this story and just picture the scene and, uh, as if we were one of the crowd. So this crowd has gathered and there's clearly an argument going on, something of a kerfuffle. And Jesus approaches the scene and we know from the previous verses that he's with Peter, James and John and basically asks, what's all the fuss about? And so this man uh, steps forward and explains what has happened. And it transpires that he has brought his son who is ill, uh, to, is sick to Jesus. But he's, it seems he's encountered Jesus' disciples first. And they tried to heal the man, but failed. So there were teachers of the law present. So of course they, it would seem, seized the opportunity to perhaps challenge or even taunt the disciples. So you can imagine that they're feeling rather embarrassed um, about their sort of sense of failure and confused. And as all this took place, a crowd had gathered around them just to see and observe what was going on. So we can picture the scene. And Jesus says with a sigh, you unbelieving lot. Not entirely clear who he's addressing when he says that. And uh, maybe in some sense he's addressing everyone present in a, in a sort of slightly different way. But he invites uh, them to bring the boy, Jesus invites them to bring the boy to him. And then the boy has what would appear to be a, an epileptic fit or something very similar to that. And Jesus asks how long the boy has been like that, uh, perhaps discerning that this boy had a medical condition as, as well as a demon that was the demon that was trying to, to throw him into the fire or water during his fits. And this boy has had this condition all his life. And we can only imagine the distress that that has caused within that family. And then he says to Jesus, if you can do anything, do it. Please take pity on me and help us. And I love the way the message translates Jesus' response to that question. He simply says, if? To the question, if you can help us, take pity. Jesus says, if? My dear man, it's not a question of if. Everything is possible to those who believe. And then the father, the, the father exclaims, I believe. Help me in my unbelief or help me overcome my unbelief. He says it, but in fact, it's variously translated. It's, it, our translation says he exclaimed it. Others say he shouted or even roared. There's an intensity in what he's cried out. There's an intensity in his cry for help. This is often the believer's paradox, isn't it? His head, his intellect told him as he cried out, I believe. 
His intellect told him that Jesus could heal his son. But that in itself was not enough to give him peace in his heart. He knew Jesus could do it. But that was not enough. That didn't stop him crying out in anguish. What he knew in his mind did not translate to peace in his heart. Have you ever felt like that? Jesus responds to the man not by rejection. Not by telling him you don't have enough faith or not by giving him a lecture on some instructions as to how to have more faith. No. He responds by a demonstration of his love and power. He doesn't even speak directly to the man. He just acts. Very little is said. And so Jesus commands the evil spirit to leave, and the evil spirit shrieked and left the boy, and he was healed. And we have that wonderful, beautiful picture of Jesus taking the boy by the hand and helping him to his feet. I believe, help me in my unbelief. I believe. I give intellectual assent. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Many of you know it off by heart. And many like me, if not most of you, agree. We just give assent to that. I've got that. I believe that. That's my theology. And what a wonderful summary that is. I've no trouble with the I believe bit. That's easy. Well, not easy, but we get there. But then we face the challenges of life. Be it sickness of myself, a loved one. Be it bereavement. Issues at work broken relationships, or loss. And we may well cry out like this man, I believe, but help. And we find in that ourselves in that place where intellectual assent in itself isn't enough. We discover the paradox of what I know to be true, failing to give me peace in my heart. And we find ourselves in a place where intellectual assent to this set of doctrinal beliefs is not in itself enough. Because my emotions are crying out, 
and our will is straining to breaking point. The believer's paradox. I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Perhaps it's because faith is more than an intellectual assent to a set of propositions. Remember James in his epistle says, you believe that God exists? Fine. Even the devils agree with you. What we believe is important. It's extremely important. But Christian faith encompasses more. Of course, it can't be left only to our emotions either. If our faith is measured by the intensity of an emotional experience, it becomes all about me and my feelings without the anchor to see us through difficult times. We all know how fragile our emotions are. Then there is an understanding of faith which is merely the power of positive mental attitude. Some of you will remember those uh, books on positive thinking some years ago. Was it the author? Was it Norman Vincent Peale? Do you remember those books? They were bestsellers for years. All we need is positive mental attitude, the will. All we need to do is recite the mantra, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, and all will be well. Except that all is not well. The faith which we require grows through the challenges of life. As we experience God's love and God's faithfulness day by day. As my whole self, my mind, my emotions, my will, learn to trust a faithful God. Job came to that place, and it took him a long time to get there, to that place of peace. And he reached that point before the cause of his suffering was removed. When we get to his place of peace in chapter 42 in Job, he is still in dust and ashes. But he came to realize that if the God that we worship is the creator of the universe, then my mind can never fully comprehend his ways. But he can be trusted. That's the point where Job got to. His faith learned to accommodate mystery. And by chapter 42, he says, I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. So to know increasingly in my intellect and my emotion and my will that God really can be trusted. And that hope is not at an end when all human possibilities are exhausted. 
I remember praying about an incredibly difficult situation uh, many years ago. And for six months, as I was praying, the situation just got steadily worse. And yet, with hindsight, we saw God's hand at work through that. And it was those very circumstances that led us to, uh, to work in Uganda and all the blessings that God brought us uh, through that experience. Back to the story. Jesus met this man at the point where he was in his journey of faith. And I think this is really important. He did not criticize. He did not condemn. He didn't give him a lecture on faith. Because God sees us as we are, he loves us as we are, and he accepts us as we are. But by his grace, he does not leave us as we are. You may be questioning this morning, in some circumstances, if God is interested, if God is able, if God really sees my plight. He gently, lovingly responds by saying, if? Because God sees us as we are, loves us as we are, and accepts us as we are. Perhaps we have no problem believing in a God who can. We've worked that one out. Intellectually, we're there. Yet we're crippled with anxiety and worry. And our problems are even confounded by the fact that we think we shouldn't feel like this. So we feel even worse. God sees us as we are loves us as we are, and accepts us as we are. Because he wants to reach out with compassion and love and touch us and give us peace. But this story is much more than healing and hope brought to one individual, one individual family. For Jesus and for the gospel writers, Something far deeper is going on here. Not just a healing, not just uh, doctrinal arguments with the teachers of the law, but what is going on is head-on war with the powers of darkness. The demon shrieked because it knew that Jesus had come to defeat them once and for all. Our passage ends with Jesus telling the disciples that the time is coming when he will be put to death and rise again. The demons shrieked and they still shriek. But because of Jesus' death and resurrection, and we're going to be remembering that in a few moments, because of that death and resurrection, they have lost their authority. That's really important. The devil still shrieks, but he has lost his authority. 
As I finish, I want you to imagine being the boy. On the ground, just beginning to realize that he is healed. Can you imagine what that felt like? And then feeling the firm grasp of Jesus lifting him up. And can you imagine on his feet looking at Jesus, at God incarnate? Taking him to a place and the place that he wants to take us this morning to a new place of acceptance and peace. A new place because having seen us as we are and loved us as we are and accepted us as we are, he does not want to leave us as we are. May that be our experience today and this week and now as we come to take communion together. Amen.